scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Luke, the 10th chapter, and you can find it on page 14 of your bulletin. Before we read that, let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you for the many ways you speak with, to, with us. We ask you to work with us, open our hearts and open our minds, and transform us by your words to us this morning. The words we're going to read from your gospel and the words that Pastor Jim speaks to us as the message today. We ask your special blessing on Jim, help his words to have wisdom and power for us and transform us. Thank you for these gifts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Starting with the 38th verse. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. I want to begin by just saying a couple things about how we're going to celebrate communion today so that I'm not a distraction later. Uh, the elders and I know that uh, some of you have been hoping that we would return at some point to sort of our pre-pandemic practice of communion with a common cup and celebrating in, in small groups, but we also know that there are, there are others uh, who are, uh, still have fair concerns about exposure and wanting to remain masked. So, uh, we've landed on a, on a compromise for now, as we've done throughout the pandemic. Uh, and um, beginning today, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to come forward for communion, and we'll, uh, we'll commune immediately at the front. Uh, so you'll come forward, you'll eat the bread, uh, then you'll uh, drink from the cup, and then uh, return to your seats. And we're still using the individual cups. And so if you'd like to gather with a small group with the room that we have available, uh, you're, you're welcome. Or if you'd like to hang back and wait until the end uh, when there's less of a line, uh, you're welcome uh, to do either. Um, I, I've often boasted that uh, for a church that's 55 years old, Geneva is remarkably flexible. And uh, I believe that's true. Uh, this isn't the first time or the last time that we'll make a change to our, our practice. Uh, and so uh, thank you for, for being open and flexible as we figure out this new space. These are decisions that we uh, try and make carefully uh, because we, we don't want anything to be a distraction <laughs> as we gather for worship. And this makes for a nice segue to our, our text today uh, where we find two sisters with Jesus and one of them is very distracted and, and anxious. So what does the scripture text teach us today? Uh, in the Epiphany season, we've been looking each week at a different story from the Gospels about Jesus and his relationships with different kinds of people. And we've seen that Jesus interacted with such a diverse range of people from different backgrounds and classes and ethnicities. And if I could try and summarize what we've seen uh, so far, uh, I think there are two things. 
Jesus, in his relationships with others, was always both challenging and comforting. On, on the one hand, in all his interactions, Jesus had an authority and a character that challenged the beliefs and the expectations of people whom he met. On the other hand, the, the love and the acceptance of Jesus was also always evident. And it, it's the combination of challenge and comfort that makes Jesus such a powerful figure. If he only challenged with authority, we wouldn't want to go to him. He'd be intimidating. And if he only ever comforted us, and he never challenged us, we might doubt you know, that he really cared. It would seem superficial. But in Jesus, we find both qualities perfectly combined the perfect challenge that we need, and the perfect comfort. And so today we want to see how we challenged and accepted uh, the two sisters in our text, Martha and Mary. And let's look at three things here. First, Martha's distraction. Second, Mary's dedication. And finally, our decision about how we will relate to Jesus in our own lives. So, so Martha's distraction, Mary's dedication, and our decision. First, let's talk about Martha. Martha is sometimes dismissed as a, as a busybody. She's sometimes even been used in the church to shame people who are, who are active and uh, like to stay busy. And I, I think this is a mistaken approach. And, and one reason why it's important not to look down on or to dismiss Martha is that the things that we see her doing here are very good. Notice that it's Martha who welcomed Jesus into her home. She's a woman of hospitality. And she's also a woman of service. Verse 40 says that her serving is what distracted her, but service in itself is always a good thing in the New Testament. Uh, the Greek word is diakonia, and it's always positive. And Jesus himself said, I have not come to be served, but to serve. In the book of Acts, chapter 6, there's a whole group of Christians who are ordained, set apart as deacons in the church to meet the community's practical needs, and to serve. So sacrificial service and generous hospitality, these are, these are very good things, and Martha is not wrong to be doing them. The point is not that Martha's service is bad, but that even something good, like our service to others, can become bad for us if it distracts us from something that's even more important. Let me explain. Verse 40 says that Martha was distracted with much serving. The, the root of the Greek word translated here as distracted literally means to pull or to drag away. Martha was dragged away with much serving. This implies not that the serving itself was bad, but that there was an even greater priority from which she was being distracted. Her work, even for Jesus, was controlling her and leading her to be critical and, and complaining about her sister. And this shows us that the issue here is not a choice between Mary's sitting and, and Martha's doing. The problem is that our doing things for Jesus can distract us from our being with Jesus 
if we allow them to do so. In other words, even, even good things can become destructive to ourselves and to others if we allow them to pull us away from Jesus, if we pursue them without being rooted in our union and communion with Jesus and his heart for the world. So in our world today, we all know what it's like to be distracted. We're, we're constantly bombarded with media that pulls us in multiple directions. Many of us struggle with letting our phones and, and their notifications control us rather than controlling our devices. Our attention itself has become commodified and, and sold to advertisers. And we often think about these kinds of problems as a technological problem. And the technology does present some special challenges. But I would suggest that the, the tech problems are often more of a symptom than the cause of our distraction. We don't focus our attention, or we're pulled in multiple directions, often skimming along the surface, because we're unclear about what is the most important thing to which we must give our attention, under which all our other activity falls. And often, the one thing to which we should be paying attention is the person right in front of us. I'm reminded of an experiment that the Washington Post organized a few years ago in Washington, D.C., uh, with the world-famous violinist Joshua Bell. They asked him to play a concert in a D.C. metro station without telling anyone that he was going to be there. Uh, if you know Joshua Bell, you know uh, how renowned he is, and it can cost, you know, $100 to get a ticket to see him perform. But he just went to the station, and he got out his 300-year-old Stradivarius, worth $3.5 million, and he began to play the same music he always plays in that crowded metro station. And most people walking through the station didn't even slow down. He collected exactly $32.17. This is the, the problem that we face. We, we miss the beauty that is often right in front of us. It's already in our presence, uh, but we just don't notice it. For Martha, even though she had welcomed Jesus into her home, she was missing the beauty of his presence. And yet he captured Mary's full attention. Why? Let's, let's consider Mary's dedication and what, what led to it. We aren't told everything in this short account, but we do get some important hints about Mary's dedication. Verse 39 says that Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Both of the verbs that are used here are significant. To sit at someone's feet in first century Judaism is a, a formal way of describing discipleship. For example, Paul says in Acts 22.3 that he was a Jew educated at the feet of his rabbi, Gamaliel. Elsewhere in the Gospels, to fall at the feet of Jesus symbolizes faith. But those that we find at Jesus' feet are not people that a typical Jewish rabbi 
would permit to be, the, to, to be there. People like women, Gentiles, Samaritans, all of these we find falling at Jesus' feet. But here, Mary is not just sitting at Jesus' feet, she's listening to his teaching. Women were never allowed to study the Torah with a rabbi. And the phrase that's used here to listen to Jesus' teaching is also important. Literally, to, he, she was listening to his word. And this is uh, meaningful in the Gospel of Luke. One commentator, James Edwards, says, hearing Jesus' word is in Luke the critical and consummate human response to divine revelation. Mary's not just listening, she's absorbing Jesus' words as the word of God. She's a model of dedicated discipleship. The, the countercultural character of Mary's discipleship explains why Martha would find it strange that she was not helping more with the serving. But Jesus not only refuses to criticize Mary, he encourages her. Mary has chosen the good portion, the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Mary knew the one thing that she needed above all else was to sit in Jesus' presence and to receive his word. In a, a noisy and, and distracted world, her attention and her dedication to Jesus show us what we also most need. As Ellen pointed out at the beginning of the service, this quote from Henry Nowen on the Reflections page, I think captures something of what this looks like. Uh, he says, many voices ask for our attention. There is a voice that says, prove that you are a good person. Another voice says, you'd better be ashamed of yourself. There also is a voice that says, nobody really cares about you. And one that says, be sure to become successful, popular, and powerful. But underneath all these often very noisy voices is a still small voice that says, you are my beloved, my favor rests on you. That's the voice we most need to hear. To hear that voice, however, requires special effort. It requires solitude, silence, and a strong determination to listen. That's what prayer is. It's listening to the voice that calls us my beloved. When we think about the practice of prayer in this way, rather than simply as a, as a religious duty that we do in certain places or at certain times, it has the power to engage us in, in new ways. Prayer becomes a way in which we bring our hearts into God's presence in order to discover what, what voices we are hearing and whether we are listening to that still small voice of the Spirit. As we practice prayer, we sort through our often confused priorities and, and needs in order to put our loves in the right order. And when we are clear that the, the one thing that is necessary for us above all else is to know God's love and to love him in return, then we can begin to let go of the many things that, that make us anxious and troubled in order to rest in God's gracious presence.
In his Confessions, St. Augustine describes human love as a kind of weight that carries us to a place of rest. And he says this, Our true place is where we find rest. We are born toward it by love. Just as a body gravitates to its proper place by its own weight, so my weight is my love. And wherever I'm carried, it's this weight that carries me. Do you, do you hear what he's saying in, with this, this striking image? My weight is my love. Whatever you love most, you will be drawn toward. Just as gravity carries a rock to the ground. This means that the, the, the most important thing you do every day is to remember what and whom you love. This is really what prayer is all about. Reminding yourself whom you love so that you can be carried by that love into the places where he calls you. Despite all the anxieties and pressures that you will inevitably experience. Let me offer something very practical about practicing this kind of prayer. You know, one way that Christians traditionally put a, a practice uh, prayer into, into practice is through a routine of, of morning prayer or devotions, and you know that includes reading scripture and, and, and praying. And that's a wonderful thing, and I highly recommend it. I follow this kind of pattern in my in my own devotional life, and. Uh, you know, if you don't have a, a habit or rhythm like that in this upcoming Lenten season, you might consider uh, pursuing that for Lent. However, in recent years, in addition to that, what I have found even more important than, than a set time of prayer in the day is having a verse or a short phrase or even just a word, like the name of Jesus, that can focus my mind on God's presence in every moment of the day. And this kind of prayer practice has deep roots in the faith, going back to the Egyptian desert fathers. And they recommended using a verse like Psalm 70, verse 1. O oh God, make haste to help me. O oh Lord, make speed to save me. And they encouraged people to make a, a verse like that a, that a habit, uh, bringing that verse to mind again and again throughout the day. Oh God, make haste to help me. Oh Lord, make speed to save me. It could be, you know, many other verses, or you might find a, a word that speaks to your heart in a particular season from the Lord. But like Martha, we sometimes welcome Jesus into our home or into our lives and then we forget that he's there. And we need reminders uh, to bring our attention again and again to him. And by meditating on his grace throughout the day, we can grow in our awareness of his presence. This brings us to our, our last point today. We've looked at Martha's distraction and, and Mary's dedication, but, but now we, we come to our decision. Will we allow ourselves to be distracted or will we pursue the one thing that is necessary? Let's talk a little bit more about what the one thing is. Because what you believe about it, what you love above all else, 
makes a big difference in whether you, you choose it. Look again at, at verses 41 and 42. When Jesus speaks Martha's name, I, I think we can hear his affection for her and his, his gentle correction, uh, calling her back to himself. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Jesus does something here that, that would have been shocking in his own day, and it, it remains shocking today. He places himself in an exalted position that was only occupied in Judaism by the study of Torah, listening to the law to learn what God requires. This is, this is what it meant to sit at the, the feet of a rabbi. Uh, it meant to learn Torah from him. Now, that was the one thing that was necessary in the synagogue. But Jesus says here that, that sitting at his feet, listening to his word, is the one necessary thing. Religious teachers throughout history have often taught about God, and, and they always say, don't look at me, look at God. But over and over again in the Gospels, we find Jesus making this most exalted claim. Look at me, and you will see God. Sit in my presence, and you will experience God. We heard it earlier in our service today. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He promises to, to satisfy our, our deepest longings. When, when you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that he offers you his presence at every moment of your life, it has the power to change your, your daily experience. Well, let me offer an illustration to, to show how this might be the case. Several years ago, the poet Marie Howe led an event in New York City at Grand Central Terminal called The Poet Is In. And it took place in the Grand Central Hall of the train station where there's a giant clock in the middle. And next to the clock, from 11 in the morning until 8 at night, Marie Howe and other poets sat at desks with typewriters and the public was invited to sit in front of a poet uh, and then to, to share a few details of their life and then receive a personalized poem from the poet. And there was something very powerful about this experience for people. Uh, here's how Marie Howe described the project uh, in an interview. She said, there were six poets that changed every hour. So you could come and sit down and talk with the poet and the poet would write you a poem after talking to you. The line of people waiting for a poem was an hour and a half long. And people waited an hour and a half. It was so amazing. You would ask a lot of questions, and then you would take their answers and transform them and give it back. You would type it out on the typewriter, stamp it, sign it, and read it to the person. People cried all the time. The person cried, the poet cried, and then you would give the poem to them free. 
I want to do this all over the country. I think we're not used to being heard. We're not used to someone listening to us and somehow transforming what we said to them and giving it back in a way that only poetry can do. It's so startling. I love that. Now, consider this. If this is our experience in the span of a few moments in a train station with a stranger, what would it be like to stand in front of Jesus, who knows you better than you can know yourself, and has loved you even at the greatest cost to himself? With other people, we're often anxious that if they knew what we were really like, that they might not accept us or that they might even reject us. And so, as a result, we often settle for, for superficial relationships. But the gospel tells us that Jesus knows even our darkest secrets, and yet he always accepts and loves us. Tim Keller puts it like this. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. When you believe that, that God offers you a love like this in the person and work of Jesus, then it has the power to change your experience of, of yourself and of other people. If you have confidence that the, the Son of God loves you so much that he was willing to suffer for you, then no matter what uh, suffering or conflict or attack that you might face, you can bring your anxiety to him because you know he cares for you. And if you believe that his loving presence is your greatest treasure, then you will want to go to him with everything. And you'll be willing to praise him, not just when he gives you good things, but for his own sake. When you're feeling strong and things are going well, uh, it's easy to go to God just to ask for what you want or maybe to make complaints about other people. But when you're weak, you know, we often distance ourselves because we think that we need to get our act together before we can be accepted. But if the one thing that is needed is his gracious presence, then that's where we need to be, especially when we're weak and we're empty. That's when we need to see him for who he is most of all. We need regular times of, of sitting like Mary and just looking at Jesus and listening to him, letting him remind us of his love and all that he's done for us. Psalm 27.4 says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that, I will, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire or to meditate in his temple. Friends, he invites you to gaze upon his beauty today. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the gracious love that you have shown us in the person and work of Jesus. 
Uh, help us to see the beauty of his suffering, self-sacrificial love, to know his presence. May we find our rest with him uh, so that we may be equipped to love others as you have loved us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.